0: On this episode of the culture pop podcast film director james Ponsolt joins us his new movie is called summering and it is in theaters now from Bleecker street plus kim kardashian and pete davidson have broken up no can't be we'll talk about celebrity relationships and sue found a long lost cousin through 23andme don't forget you can subscribe to the culture pop podcast on apple spotify or at stevemason.com don't forget to leave us a rating and a review the Culture Pop Podcast is brought to you by the law offices of Jacob M. Ronnie.
1: Accident.
0: Oh, Jacob. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Culture Pop Podcast. I'm Steve Mason, along with Sue Kalinski, Sue Ballou, episode 210. Great guest today, James Ponsold, who directed a new movie coming out uh, uh, called Summering from Bleecker Street Films. Uh, how you feeling? How was the How was the weekend?
1: The weekend, uh, the weekend was good. Uh, Saw some music in the park in the LBC, which was fun. Uh, Hit golf balls. Cool on Saturday. On Saturday, Um, and that we went to see we went to see Moulin Rouge on Saturday. I I actually saw you had posted something about it, and and it was fantastic. It was
0: as they say in the show, spectacular, spectacular. It was like. (laughs) colors and i was a little i actually i had a gummy beforehand it was just beautiful <laughs> and amazing to look at the colors and the music <laughs> and the dancing it was
1: fantastic well was was your was your perception of the show warped because you ate gummies no i had a gummy for a okay. little
0: i mean it's no different from those ladies out front having their glass <laughs> the of white wine out front.
1: No, I mean, what do you uh, like? What do you like? A a closet gummier?
0: No, no. I mean, you you have a wine, you have a, you know, you drinks, all that kind of stuff. So it's really no, but I'm telling you, the show is just like crazy spectacular. Like jukebox musical on steroids, uh, mashups, all kinds of stuff. I I really loved it. I thought it was great.
1: Oh, cool. Okay. Well, I I actually like the movie. Oh, the movie's fantastic. Yeah.
0: The movie, I think, is one of the greatest movies made in this century since 2000 i think moulin rouge goes down as as one of that uh, very elite group but yeah yeah but the show completely lived up to all of its billing and its tony awards and all that stuff
1: well i'm very happy for you thank you
0: thank <laughs> you so what do you got going going on there
1: so um i'm sure you heard the news that pete davidson split up with kim uh, kardashian this is huh? so
0: disappointing
1: wow didn't see that coming huh
0: no, I really thought those two crazy kids were gonna go for a long time. And you what know, no, go ahead. Go ahead. I was gonna say um Pete Davidson has got her kids names on his chest it's like what are you doing dude
1: I know I you know I was I was actually talking to Ladman about that it's like and I don't know whether this is just a showbiz thing because I remember Billy Bob Thornton and Angelina Jolie did the same thing it's like is this is when like wedding vows aren't enough they have to do something surgil- sure, surgical Sure, you know I mean these guys didn't get married but I remember like Billy Bob Thornton I and, and I'm almost positive I remember he had like he had like tattooed names of women on his arms that he had to like cross out. And then he put Angeline underneath it. And it was like it was like the chalkboard at, at like a bar when you're <laughs> signing up to shoot pool. <laughs> I mean, it's like it was it's ridiculous. And I don't know what it is because you always hear it about show business people like Billy Bob Thornton and Angelina Jolie. They exchanged blood.
0: Yeah, no, they actually wore. I interviewed like Billy vials, he right? He had a vial his, of her blood, right? Or wore a vial head? of Angelina's uh, blood. Yeah. So it's
1: Beautiful like you, you break up, and you know, in a normal breakup, you know, you're like, okay, well, you know, give me my CDs back, or you know, I want that painting. <laughs> you know, it's, and then with them, it's like, um, can I have my DNA back? <laughs> I mean, it's like ridiculous. So anyway, um, and I—I I don't know, you know. There's, there's always, there's always signs. There's always flags, you know. Um, you hear, you know, like this had a siren.
0: This- Are you talking about this? This one, Pete Davidson and Kim Kardashian, that had a siren. It wasn't even a sign. Oh it was like- yes,
1: it was like a flare, you know. <laughs> and it's, it's like I think how many, how many women has he been engaged to within the last like five years? Or well. Or engaged i know there was
0: i i don't i don't have my scorecard in front of me are you scoring yeah. at home with pete davidson I, I,
1: I just i think he wasn't he engaged to kate beckinsale um I know and, with and, it, kate and it usually beckinsale. happens so quick it's happened so quick like i i remember i remember when i first started dating uh kenny ober and mm-hmm. in, like i'd been with him for like i don't know maybe a week not a week but maybe a month and he and he told me that he loved me and i, I looked at him and i said Oh, come on. I said, you can't love me so soon. You don't really even know me, you know? And he said, no, he says, don't take that away from me. I I, I love you. And to me, I mean, I think back and what, you know, what did I do? I spent 16 years with the guy and never got married, but I'm always like, I don't know, you know, you, you start saying things too soon. It, to me, it, it's, it's a flag. And for me, it was a flag that I just ignored.
0: I was always a dive right in guy. Like if I felt it was working, you know, even like before the dessert course, sometimes I would, I would, uh, I love you. Uh, no, I, I, yeah, you gotta be very careful with that. Now, in the case of Pete Davidson and Kim Kardashian, I, you know, I just watched Kim Kardashian. on with David Letterman. What a smart, person that is what a smart woman kim kardashian is you haven't seen it have you i haven't i i walked away with a completely different impression of uh of kim kardashian huh. really very very smart um very impassionate passionate about uh of criminal justice reform uh loves her family is devoted to her family all that kind of stuff i thought she comes off really really well and I might be the one guy in the world who thinks Pete Davidson's kind of cool.
1: I, you know, I I don't have an issue with with yeah. I mean he he does things that you know.
0: He's you got know. that BDE like me,
1: Sue. Yeah. <laughs> it's just uh, I don't know. It's 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 just the 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 quickness of it all. And then you know, I think she posted something about. You know, another who she's with somebody else already. Oh, I mean, wow. it's, it's like it just happened, but again, you know, maybe it was, maybe it was uh brewing while she was with him. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, yeah, it's just people that just can't be um alone, they just can't. Well, be I think alone.
0: showbiz people, uh, generally speaking, showbiz people just don't match well together. Like, I, yeah. I think that's one of the reasons why so many showbiz relationships end is because there's a natural competitiveness. Yes. Whether you believe it or not, there's a natural competitiveness that goes into that two people being in the business at the same time and where am I am I cresting uh am I have I plateaued like all that kind of conversation takes place. So that's why I think a lot of showbiz marriages don't work. Uh but I I my my best to Kim and to Pete and I I hope they both land on their feet. I don't think they need my well wishing.
1: Yeah. So anyway, so, um, I wanted to talk to you about my, um, my dinner with my new cousins.
0: That's right. So give us the brief synopsis. You discovered these people on 23 and Me, right?
1: I didn't, I didn't myself, a cousin of mine, um, did it and, um, found that we have these cousins and, um, he contacted them a couple of years ago and I, I've just been in contact with, um. I was in contact with the granddaughter of my uncle mm-hmm. um, a couple of, uh, I guess, I don't know, maybe three weeks ago. And she said, "We, you know, do you want to get together and meet? And I was like, yeah. So she invited me for dinner mm-hmm. um, last Thursday. and So uh, this would be
0: a cousin of yours,
1: right? So she's a cousin. So her mother would actually be a first cousin. She would be a second cousin. And uh, her I'm, mom I'm, lives
0: diagram- in- I'm diagramming this as we're talking here. <laughs> First cousin, second. It's kind cousin. of like Pete,
1: Pete, Pete Davidson's relationship. <laughs> it is. It's the exact same thing. We need a Telecaster.
0: So, so here's um, this perfect stranger you go to dinner with, and you know, yeah, you So related. I went
1: to I went to her house, and her mom lives in Arizona with her dad, and they were there, and her daughter, and um, and the. Five of us had had dinner at her house. And it was so funny because, you know, I'm 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 very excited about it, but I'm like nervous about it. And I'm like, you know, what do I wear? And, you know, bring a bottle of wine. And it's, it's like I felt like I was going on a date. You know, sure, sure. You know, uh, am I gonna see them again after this? I gotta make <laughs> a good impression. Don't say anything stupid. Don't try to be, you know, too funny. Um, anyway, it ended up being a really amazing, amazing evening. And the the cherry on the cake is that they're all baseball fans. Oh, wow. And it's That's funny great. because in the beginning when we, I started talking about baseball and I, at one point I said, I don't know how much you, you know, follow baseball. And I said it a couple of times and, and one of them looked at me and said, we know baseball. <laughs> you oh, nice. Saying that. We know baseball. So the mother and the, and the daughter are uh, Yankee fans because they, you know, grew up in New York yep. and the, the dad is from New York. Um, but he, uh, he was a Brooklyn Dodger fan. So he's a Dodger fan.
0: Hmm. So were you in the market for more relatives? Like I have, I, I, my schedule is so limited, right. And what I actually have time to do. Uh, So like, I'm not looking for a loose uh, aunt or a rando cousin anywhere to like, hang out with and all that stuff. Like I I already have a lot of family. I don't talk to Are These people you're going to hang out with for now on.
1: Oh, I I hope so. Yeah. We're actually planning on going to Arizona. Um, to have a little reunion with with my two my, with the the half sisters who were my cousins, um, sometime this fall, um, we're going to go to Arizona and all the girls are going to get together. Oh, and the thing great. is, is that I I didn't seek this out. This just right. kind of happened. And I'll tell you the reason why it was so important for me okay. is that my uncle was one of the most important people in my life, mm-hmm. and um, just the fact that he had a daughter. And then she had a daughter. Um, I wanted to meet them because there was no one cooler than my uncle. Yeah. So anyone who had uh, had uh, an attachment to him, you know, was already grandfathered in.
0: Ah, Very cool. That's very cool. I'm glad that that worked out. Yeah. I know you're nervous about it.
1: Yeah, I wasn't nervous. I was I was excited about it. Excited, I was I was okay. I was good nervous. It's kind of like the the anxious, you know, the anxious feeling. People would always say to me when I was doing stand-up, are you nervous? And I said, I'm not nervous. I there's there's a like kind of like uh, good anxiety, you know, and, and you gotta have good yeah. anxiety before you go on stage. Yeah, you, know? you get hyped up. Exactly. exactly. Yeah.
0: Um all right, cool. Well, listen, uh our guest today is a writer, director, and producer who has made a couple of my favorite movies of the last decade smashed starring aaron paul and mary elizabeth winstead and the spectacular now starring miles teller and shailene woodley his new movie is summering it will be released by Bleecker street films on august the 12th james ponselt is here james thank you so much for doing this oh thank you so so much of your work including summering is about growing up and it's funny, you know, I was watching Summering over the weekend and remembering it's August when I was a kid and feeling those feelings and, oh, going back to school or changing schools. You wrote and directed this film. Uh, where did this specific idea come from for you?
2: Yeah, I mean, the I mean, there's like always the long version and the short version. Uh, <laughs> I think, I mean, probably the biggest thing is being a parent. I have three kids. And so that's probably the most affecting thing in my life about stories and certainly stories with young protagonists. Um, and that, that's true as well for, uh, Ben Percy, my co-writer. Um, he also has kids. And I think those conversations between parents and children trying to understand where they're coming from, not always successfully. I think that's sort of, um, something that, um, is, is a part of our lives and, um, you know, I mean, my wife also works at a middle school, high school. So it's just like conversations between, she's dealing with kids and parents all the time. It's just part of our world. But um, the slightly longer thing is um, a few years ago, there was someone, um, an older man who was found dead, not so far from my house and no one could ID his body. Um, um, He still hasn't been ID'd. And to me, like that, um, To not even receive the dignity of being named when you die felt like a signifier of something larger Hmm. at a cultural level that's fundamentally broken. And that began a series of conversations um, with family and friends, including my children, about issues related to justice, personal responsibility, death, structural violence, um, how we have issues um, like toxic masculinity or unhoused people or families breaking down. And, um, you know, Ben, my co-writer and I, we had sort of started this conversation, I had started this conversation, I guess, back in film school. My thesis film in film school was about a single mother and her daughter. Jeanine Garofalo played the mother. And then Mm a couple of years after that, I met Ben Percy, who was writing short stories at the time. And he had written a story called Refresh, Refresh, which is about teenage boys, um, children of um, active um, military um, um, servicemen who are deployed, but about about teenage boys and violence. And his short story, Refresh, Refresh, was in the Paris Review. I adapted it into a screenplay, which I took to the Sundance Screenwriter's Lab. Um, and then in a very roundabout way, um, a really amazing graphic novelist named Danica Nalgordoff adapted that script into a graphic novel, um, and which um, was selected for Best American Comics in 2011 by Alison Bechdel. But... Mm. These conversations about subjectivities and stories containing multiple subjectivities um, as it relates to structural violence um, and uh, with, with, with young men, with young women in family structures are things that I think have always been something I've been interested in. And this felt like a continuation of that.
1: The writing is so great. And I'm always impressed when, it, I guess it goes both ways gender-wise, when a woman writes about men and a, and a man writes about women and here you have you know four young girls and then you have you know their their moms and it it's it was it was so real you know coming from you know cuz when i was growing up i was i was a tomboy and i kind of look at these girls as being that sort mm-hmm. um i i'm 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 I, it's not even a question i'm i'm just saying that i i i just really marvel at that cuz it's mm-hmm. something that you're able to access um that I, I don't. I don't know if, if everybody can do that.
2: Well, I mean, I think you know, if we want to understand, um, you know, I think if we want to understand the way that sort of violence, structural violence is transmitted through society, we need to have stories that have multiple subjectivities. You know, um, and you do it not not just for women who want to. See see themselves on screen, you do it for everyone. Cause if we're going to understand um, why there are certain things culturally that feel toxic um, or broken, we're not going to get unstuck by just by telling the same stories, which is through the lens of, 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 of a male perspective um, or, or through the stories of men. And I think men need to be interested in, in female characters. And it, again, it's for all the reasons because we all benefit from a robust and dynamic um, ecosystem of characters that look and feel like what, life looks and 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 feels like um i mean i on a personal level like i the people that meant the most to me that informed my taste i think in books music culture art whatever like was my sister and my mom um and ben my co-writer and 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 it's now as i have children i have a daughter it's sort of become part of that conversation ben my co-writer it's a similar thing his sister is an amazing journalist um and he has a daughter that's the age of these characters and um i think as we were writing it At every stage, we were sharing the script with all of our friends, but specifically our female friends, our tough female friends. And we asked them to like not just prosecute the script, you know, to say what feels authentic and inauthentic um, about the dynamics of interpersonal relationships between girls at the ages of 11 and 12. But like, what do you connect to? What is it like when you're an adult, like the characters in this, and you're trying to maintain friendships or God help you make new friendships. And how do you create a safe space for your kids to live fearlessly without projecting your own anxieties onto them? I mean, we, we all have blind spots. Um, Like men telling stories about, women or women telling stories about men, there will be blind spots inevitably. Um, And that's why you surround yourself with great collaborators, which is what I did. The majority of our department heads and, you know, are are female. And at every stage at the writing level, at the production level, the questions were to everybody, how would you say it? How would you do it? What feels real? What's different between the way 12-year-old boys would respond in this situation to the way 12-year-old girls are? What, you know, much of it, um, you know, I think a lot of what we were exploring were the way that girls at this age can articulate the value of their friendship and the meaning of it and the fear of losing it. It's very front of mind for them. Whereas boys at that age, they are not able to talk about their emotions in that way and talk about the value of their friendships. And in fact, they're taught to repress it. And it is the definition in many ways of generational toxic masculinity that we then grow up <laughs> with that. And um, and that difference is something that I think we're interested in exploring. So how would you, because uh, uh, on the surface,
0: at least, uh, summering structurally feels a, a little like Stand By Me, uh, the classic Rob Reiner movie, only it's it's young girls as opposed to young guys. Um, I, was that was that a template? And how are those movies different? Like, what's what's the angle? What's your take on that? That that's different from from Stand By Me.
2: Yeah, I mean, I you know, Stand By Me is a movie. I was lucky when I was um, you know a kid that I could see there were plenty of books and movies where I could see a version of myself on screen. Um, I think that's a privilege that that young men had and have that women don't. And it's and it's a, a privilege that we should all question and men should certainly question that privilege and what that means when, when um, someone is not able to see themselves represented on screen. Um, so, I mean, Stand By Me was a film that I watched, but I mean, um, you know, again, it really just started from, there was a dead man. And how do you talk to this about your kid? How do you talk about it with your with your children and how would, if we're really trying to, to anchor a story in the subjectivity of these four 11, 12 year old girls, how would they process this trauma? Like they are, it's, it's not an arbitrary time, you know, in their lives at 11 or 12 before middle school kids develop on a spectrum, but, Some kids can present as rather innocent. They use their imagination still. Some kids are world-weary and cynical. Maybe they've experienced a lot of trauma in their personal life, um, but they would certainly approach it differently than a 40-year-old man or woman would when they found this thing. And so to use their imagination as a tool and how that sort of navigates itself was something that was really interesting. Um, You know, and I think it goes deeper than sort of just sort of taking a a male story and reversing gender. It, um, I mean, there's, a lot of films that have probably meant more to me as I've gotten older about young people in first brushes with death, um, whether that's movies like spirit of the beehive or picnic and hanging rock or young Torless or forbidden games or virgin suicides, or, you know, there's a long, long list of films. Um, um, but, but, you know, again, like the, these characters certainly have grown up in a world where, um, they and their families, um, have certain images in pop culture, Um, that are what have been dominant, you know, and what's probably been dominant for them, the the crime shows that are playing on that are playing in the background of some of this. Um, You know, there is a long, long history from the beginning of film and certainly of TV of I'm thinking of like classic film noir, but it's just continued to law and order of a, a dead female body and the men who will either avenge her death or solve her death or whatever it is, try to create some justice, mostly for themselves, you know, or understand their own problematic relationship with their mother or father, but it is never about agency and a female centered identity or consciousness or friendship. Um, And um, I I think much of what I was trying to explore and examine in this film was exactly that. And our, our complicity, you know, as, as parents in that, our role in either telling better stories or, new stories or stories that contain different subjectivities um,
1: so you know when your cast is divided um, half kids half adults um, as a director do you do you approach them differently
2: you, you know I mean in some ways and in some ways not i mean it's always i think the best um you know kids are remarkable they're resilient they're wise they're They see everything, whether or not we think they do, and their imaginations are robust and dynamic and are an amazing tool, again, to make them resilient for really traumatic things. Um, Loss, uh, parents splitting up, whatever it is. Um, And I think um, as adults, a lot of us lose that or we at least suppress that or we're taught to normalize things that we should not normalize, that are not just. We just accept them as status quo. And I think... a lot of my favorite artists at least are able to tap into it, their imagination, but it really just means tapping into their childhood. And so I think with adult actors, people like Megan Mullally, who's just like one of the funniest people I've ever met in my life. and can just improvise all day or Lake Bell, who's brilliant, or Ashley Medeggway or Sarah Cooper. Um, they have the sense of, they can have the sense of play on set, the exact same sense of play that, they, that the kids have. And in many ways they were really, I mean, they were, they were partners to the story And to creating these relationships and engendering an environment where there could be a sense of play and exploration.
0: Uh, I want to circle back around to uh, Summering, but I want to ask you about a couple of your other movies. Both uh, There are two movies that you made uh, in the last decade that I think are just fantastic. Uh, One is Smashed uh, Mm -hmm. with Aaron Paul and Mary Elizabeth Winstead. And the other is Miles Teller and Shailene Woodley in The Spectacular Now. Um, I'm curious from you, particularly on Smashed. I did a Q&A with Mary Elizabeth and uh, with Aaron uh, when the movie actually came out. Um, did you have some experience in your life with uh, you know, someone in your life having a drinking problem? Is that sort of the genesis
2: of, of a project like Smashed? Um, Yeah, I mean, I grew up with a lot of addiction related to every substance uh, imaginable. And um, by the time I made that film, I'd had friends that had um, lost marriages or lost their spouses or friends that had lost their lives due to addiction. So it was very front and center and front and center for my um, uh, writing partner on that, Susan Burke, um, who was um, was wasn't as sober and um, and also a very, very funny person who can talk about when she was drinking with a sense, um, you know, around things that could be depicted with a sense of horror or otherness with a real sense of identity and humor. And, um, and so, yeah, I mean, I had, I had definitely been to, um, at that point, I mean, there was a sort of a, not a catalyst, but I think at that point I had found myself at my fifth or sixth wedding, it felt like we're both the bride and groom were drunk at their own weddings. Mm-hmm. Like in some cases, like stumbling down drunk, which is funny, sort of it's funny, and like uh, and then just imagine that they have children, and then it's not funny <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. and and you know and um and it, again in, in many ways, I think there's again, I sort of gravitate towards the stories that I gravitate towards, but um you know that that's a story of a relationship that's not sustainable, it's like there was a common common bond of of, of something which was parting, which was drinking and for, for someone, you know, as they say, like your emotional development stops when your addiction begins, they, that two people that functionally were younger actually emotionally than they were in their actual years. And that for one of them, when they got sober that like they had a lot of growth that they were suddenly doing and realizing that their partner, that maybe they were not soulmates. Um, And um, you know, I could imagine characters from that film drifting into a film like Summering, you know, just yeah. if we happen to have kids, if there happened to be a breakdown in a marriage, if they happen to still be friends, but all of those things. Um, so yes, right <laughs> way of saying yes.
1: So when you're directing two characters who are playing alcoholics and I mean, real drop down, like just the intensity of their illness, um, like like when they're riding bicycles especially this this sec, the second time when Aaron Paul is riding the bike in traffic how do you, how do you direct somebody how do you direct somebody when when they're that you know
2: playing somebody that drunk um you, you I think you get really specific i mean the first thing i think like safety is i mean it sounds maybe a boring answer but like safety is always the most important thing like safety and trust like for me and the actors i work with Like them trusting me is the most, it's it's our partnership and them trusting me is the most important thing that I, you know, that they will be taken care of, that they, that I'm going to help create a safe space where they can take chances in front of the camera, you know, to make, to make fools of themselves potentially, and to trust that I will be honest with them and not use that take or whatever it is, or safety as it relates to a stunt, like riding a bike where you could fall. Um, you know it was a lot of specificity this is a while ago, but a lot of specificity with Aaron, who's amazing um, an amazing physical comedian an amazing actor um, you know about how how that how it would go how a bike you know with a chain that was busted, how it would bust what that would look like you know to be be clear. Do we need stunt teams? Do we need, you know, all those things, just very specific conversations with a director, an assistant director, maybe a stunt choreographer and the actor about how you're going to do something safe in a safe way that, that creatively creates the illusion on screen of what you want and allows the actor to feel safe when they're doing it. Uh, And then
0: uh, the spectacular now, which was uh, one of the uh, 10 choices for national board of review uh, film of the year. Um and I I'm wondering and Shailene Woodley and Miles Teller are fantastic. Miles Teller is now arguably one of the biggest stars in the world, right after after Top Gun. Did you see something in him? Did you get some sort of magnetic movie star vibe from Miles Teller while
2: you were making the spectacular now? I you know, I think I mean like I approach every film kind of in the same way in as much as like I'm thinking of Summering like with where there's with you know, where there's actors that are even younger than the actors in Spectacular now, you know, with Miles and Shailene and, and Caitlin Deaver and Brie Larson, you know, I had, I had seen maybe, I mean, I think Caitlin was only 14 or 15 when we made that. Mm-hmm. In some cases I had seen things they'd done in some cases it was just through an audition process, but it was, and then, you know, with adult actors in that, whether it was Andre Royo or Kyle Chandler, or Jennifer Jason Lee or Bob Odenkirk, I was a fan of them from very specific things. It's creating a sort of an ecosystem or a constellation of, people that feel interesting together and that who you, you being the filmmaker as a surrogate for the audience find interesting and want to watch and you find their, their choices just really interesting. I mean, just like with the actors for Summering, we met so many people for Spectacular Now. We met so many kids for Summering and it was, you know, um, with Summering, I was working with my casting director, A.V. Kaufman, and just, meeting the people that we believe in that we just find interesting. And there's things that you can't control and that an actor can't control. They can't control whether the movie will like what their role will be like by the end of an edit. They can't control whether people will like it, whether it will make money. They can't control. There's so many things that are fickle and unpredictable and beyond the control of an actor. They just like any artist, have to do the best work they can. And um, you know, I, I, I'm always with miles and and I for the role that miles played. I, I think I probably met over a hundred actors. Um, and he was the person for the range of that character, which was someone who could be charismatic life of the party, probably self delusional and then profoundly self-loathing and sort of a generational descendant of a rich history of (laughs) toxic, toxic, masculine, alcoholic, whatever you want to call it. Like, and what that means and, and, you know, for him to have that arc and contain it all required a lot of, um, Muscle as an actor, and he he really did. so i'm I'm not surprised, um you know, um that that those actors are having tremendous success. They deserve it, and they're profoundly talented. It's the way I feel about um our wonderful cast in summering as well.
0: let me let me go back to Summering. I want to ask you one last mm-hmm. question about it. Um, I feel like adulthood is kind of like a shark that is circling. Uh, this unavoidable sense of adulthood is throughout summering. and, You know, some of the dialogue, we can't stay forever, but we can stay for a little bit longer. Let's never not be friends. Just beautiful stuff. And then there's one moment that I especially love in the movie um, when they go into the school and there's a tree and it's got all these kids' handprints on it. And you see the handprints sort of falling off the tree. It's just such a beautiful image. What goes into a shot like that?
2: Um, You know, it was, I mean... It starts from an idea. I mean, as an image that I think is was part of like the elementary school that I went to, and that other people I knew. It's child art. I mean, my kids have done that, where they're taking their handprint before you can really hold a brush. You can make handprints on things, and you know, as a collective, as a group, you're making something greater—a tree. um, Which it's a common thing that I think in schools that you would see. And I think there's like a beauty to it and the symbolism of it of what it suggests. And maybe as metaphor to kids, you know, both what they can create and create together. And there's something profoundly sad and spooky about it to me, at least. Um, Especially when you go into a school I'm thinking of like we shot in Utah, when you're scouting schools in Utah and going to schools where there's art on the wall that kids made and it says class of 1983 or something. Mm -hmm. And you're like, Oh, those kids are adults now. And they might have, they might have children of their own and some of them aren't alive and some of the imagination just wonders, you know, you yep. just, and, and this was a film with the characters, Bithia, tree where the idea of the tree was a metaphor that kind of went, went through the film and, you know, we, we talked about it. And then sort of Adam Reimer, my production designer, he and his team created that. Um, and then with Greta Zazula, who's my awesome cinematographer and real right hand and sort of, um, like creating a look and feel for the film. Um, we talked about how we would film it and and that it would just sort of, there would be a slow matter of factness as they walked by of just slowly, slowly pushing in on this thing and letting, and then with my editor, um, you know, just letting that play out after the kids have sort of drifted out of it, that it's this moment of something for these kids, you know, their friendships are what they hold most vital besides their relationships perhaps with their parents. Like they, it's the thing that they're most afraid of losing and it's more palpable and real perhaps, than the fear of death, or at least was, um, which might have been abstract. And and they do believe that um, they will be friends forever. And I think, although in their gut, um, they know that that might not be the case. Um, we, as an audience, um, as adults, who know that's not the case, bring, I think, an awareness. And, you know, the sentiment that's expressed by the kids can feel maybe overly sincere, and which is can, I think can make adults really uncomfortable. And I think it's like, it's that exact place that I see with the kids in my life especially my own kids of like going back and forth between an innocence at times, a timeless innocence of experiencing of emotional development of the way that a kid relates to the first time a grandparent dies or a pet dies or a friend moves away, whatever that feels like it, it's, there is a timelessness to it. And then there's also a world weariness and cynicism that can collide right up against it in the same five minutes later, which makes, which makes you feel like that innocence was shattered a long time ago. So that gray place and how children and their parents navigate it was something we were really excited about. Uh, well, listen, Summering is a is a beautiful
0: film. It Thank is you. being released by Bleecker Street Films uh, on uh, August the 12th in theaters, and I'm sure you'll find a way to uh, to seek it out. It really is. I mentioned that one moment. The moment is so beautiful and sort of encapsulates kind of what the movie is about for me. We appreciate you doing this. Thanks. And congratulations on the movie, James. Thank you both so much. I really appreciate it. And there you have it. There is James Ponsold, great director, great director. Sue, I, I mentioned this uh, to him, but I do think the movie, one of the big themes is that that loss of innocence that you have as a kid. When, when did you lose your innocence? Your innocence is what I'm asking. Your innocence.
1: I don't think I have.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Still haven't after all these years.
1: You know, I was a pretty wild child, you know. Um, very precocious. So you
0: are you saying you never had any
1: innocence? I don't think I ever did. <laughs> <no>. <laughs> you know, I was wild. I was, you know, I was wild as a little kid. I was wild as a teenager and, and uh I think I lost I don't I don't know. I don't I think maybe much later in life than, than maybe the average kid.
0: See, I was just I was a really sensitive kid. I know that doesn't seem possible now. How could Steve Mason have been a sensitive kid? But I was,
1: I I actually want to see proof of that. And and when the
0: Faison Baker girls next door told me that there was no Santa Claus, I was devastated. I just, I remember I couldn't make any sense of it. Like how could my parents have been lying to me all this time?
1: That was my first thought. That's so funny. I think, you know, being the youngest of five kids, um, you know, my parents were pretty checked out you know, early on in my life. They really were. I mean, yeah. it, 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 I mean, I, I laugh about it, but sometimes I think about it and it's like, my mother never woke up for me in the morning when I was in like elementary school. She just <laughs> expected everybody else, all the other kids to do her job basically. <laughs> um, so, you know, and, and I think that, uh, and I think like, like, like there was, there was one time where I cursed. My parents were away and I cursed. Yeah. And my parents had heard that I had cursed prior to that. So there was word on the street that you had cursed. Yes, and my parents said if we find out that you cursed one more time we're going to wash your mouth out with soap. So my parents went out for the night and my siblings dared me to curse. And right. they, pr- they provoked me. They they provoked me to curse. And I did. And they said, "Ah, we're telling Mommy and Daddy." And I actually packed a suitcase and walked out of the house. Like I was running away. Yeah, I'm I, was out of like, here. I was like nine <laughs> and they let me walk down the street. It was at night. They let me walk down the street. And then when I came back, as I was scared, I was knocking on the door and they wouldn't let me in the house. You
0: know, if that's not losing your innocence, I don't know what is. That's a, that's a rough night for a, a how old nine year old?
1: I think I was around
0: nine. Yeah. yeah, that's a rough night. That's a rough night. Um, all right. Well, there you have it. There is your Culture Pop podcast for today. We appreciate you listening. Thanks very much. Uh, don't forget, you can always uh, uh, send us a an Instagram message. We always respond to those. So uh, I am uh, at Venice Mace and you are at Sue.Kalinski. I think I've got that right.
1: Uh, I think Trust it's me. At, it's at at uh, S. Kalinsk, isn't it?
0: No, no. It's at... Sue.Kalinsky on Instagram. Oh, on Instagram. On yes,
1: Instagram. Instagram. Yeah. Yes, yes,
0: yes. Uh, so feel free to leave us a message there. We always like to get those. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the Culture Pop Podcast on Apple, Spotify, or at SteveMason.com. Don't forget to leave us a rating and a review. Sue, great seeing you. And we will see everybody next time on the Culture Pop
2: Podcast.